Jesse, how's it going? Katie, I am tired. I am bleary-eyed. I am frazzled. I'm sore in many different parts of my body. I have to say, and I'm choosing my words very carefully here, as I always do, but I have to say I have been completely turned out by American democracy. Turned out. Is that the is that the correct term there? Demo- American democracy has had its way with me night after night after night all week, and I could not be more satisfied. Oh, you're satisfied with it. I'm glad to hear that. Nobody wants to leave an election feeling unsatisfied. In reality, this week has been very stupid. Has- like, it's just like this has been we've sort of known for a while. We're recording this Friday Biden has won. A couple of places have basically called it. Everyone's like waiting. Uh, this is just, this is taken forever, right? Yeah. You were more optimistic that we would know, uh, like immediately, like on day one. Like you, you proposed that when Biden swept Florida and every other state, when he had a 50 state victory, that we record like a little dispatch about this amazing victory. <laughs> this is, this is brutally wrong revisionist content. I, I propose if election night he won Florida or Georgia or North Carolina, then yes, we should record one that night. Of course. This is taking a little bit longer than expected. Right, which I figured was going to happen in the first place because – in part because I'm more of, an, of a pessimist than you are, but also because I live in a state that has mail-in voting, mail-in, mail-in voting and has for the last 10 years. And so we're used to elections taking a long time here. And, and we have like really functional mail-in voting because we've been doing it for 10 years and elections still take longer. Um, so, so I figured it was going to be a shit show. And I think I was proven correct. It was. It has been a shit show. Well, so, yeah, actually, I mean, this is maybe something we should discuss during the episode. I think overall, things have actually gone smoothly. It just turns out it takes a very long time to count ballots, especially as is true in some key states. You're not allowed to start processing them until Election Day. So the extent to which this was a shit show will maybe be um, debated for years to come. But, but Katie, what podcast is this? This is Blocked and Reported, and I am a very exhausted Katie Herzog. I am a turned out Jesse Single. And today we are talking about what I think we all know what we're talking about. We're talking about the same thing that everybody is talking about. We are talking about the goddamn fucking election. Fucking shitty, this stupid system we have in which the people get to choose their own leader. Oh, man. And there's 50 different ways of doing it. <laughs> there's 50 different ways of doing it. But first, we have some uh, housekeeping news. We do have some housekeeping news. Okay. First of all, Katie, you just launched a new newsletter. I finally launched a newsletter. So I, uh, I'm following in the steps of you and... And friend of the pod, Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi and Andrew Sullivan. I have launched my first Substack. It is an invest. It is a deep dive investigative reporting into dog testicles. Finally, <laughs> the podcast, the newsletter is called Moose Nuggets, and it's going to be a mini series for the next two months. I am going to be exploring the the wild world of dog desexing, and at the end of this, I will decide whether or not to uh, cut my dog's balls off. So just to be clear, you plugged my newsletter, Matt Taibbi's, and Glenn Greenwald's into an algorithm. You're like, what would sort of be the <laughs> average of these three? And the computer just popped out a photo of dog balls. Exactly. And it was it happened to be a, a photo that I already had on my phone, so it was really perfect. I think people will really like the cover image, which is, of course, a picture of my dog's balls. Um, it sounds a little ridiculous. I, I, t- I get that. But this is actually a very interesting ethical issue. It's about animal rights. It's about bodily autonomy. It's about consent. It's about 
when we, why we make the decisions that we do. It's about trends. Did you know that in Europe, they don't really spay and neuter their dogs? I didn't. That makes sense to me just because like I view Europeans as an inherently horny people. So it makes sense that that would extend to animals. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. And they don't have a, uh, they don't have it like a feral dog problem. There are not like packs of golden doodles running around Prague. So I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get into a bunch of different stuff. You can find it at moosenuggets.substack.com. And the best part is it's entirely free. There might be a subset of our listeners who aren't familiar with Katie's writing. I mean, I bet a lot of you guys are, but Katie, in addition to being a great podcaster, is a wonderful writer. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, Reading Moose Nuggets. Well, one more time. It was Moose, uh, <laughs> Moose Nuggets. What was the URL one more time? MooseNuggets.substack.com. And I, this is my first, I've like taken a hiatus from writing in eight months. So this feels for eight months. So this feels like a, a nice way to, you know, like dip my toe back in. Definitely check that out. Our other housekeeping announcement before we get deep into the guts of democracy is this is our first episode where you're going to hear an ad midway through our first advertisement. And, you know, we just want to be transparent about this. When the ad starts, you are going to hear music that sounds like this. That music indicates you're hearing an ad. Uh, it just indicates that's separate from sort of our regular standard podcast and we're not going to do ads for like scammy or exploitative products we're being pretty selective about this but this is just sort of the way the podcast economy works these days we're hoping that this will help us turn blocked reported not into just like a thing that caught on for a while into 2020 but like into a bigger more sustainable business and uh yeah i guess that's what we wanted to say the other thing is if you're a patron you're hearing this just to sort of hear us explain the existence of ads, but you won't hear any ads at all. If you go to patreon.com slash blocked and reported, one of the many perks, including bonus episodes, is you just won't ever hear an ad because uh, you're helping us pay the bills in other ways. Although I will say the ads, it's possible that the ads will be funny. So maybe you want to hear the ads. Maybe you want both. Maybe you want to be a patron and then also just listen to the podcast just for the ads. Yeah. We'll just, our, soon our podcast is just going to be advertisements. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It's going to be cigarette ads, whiskey ads, gun ads, online gambling, maybe payday lenders. We're going to do a couple of those in there. I've been spending so much time sending unsolicited emails to Saudi arms manufacturers. <laughs> I just had no, no luck no whatsoever. Luck. They're not interested? No. I don't even think I have that right. Actually, American arms manufacturers that sell arms to the Saudis. That's what I was targeting. And they just won't fucking return my emails. I think it's anti-Semitism. I think so. It's Yeah. Blocked and reported. Brought to you by Raytheon. Okay. Where should we start with this fucking election? Oh, where should we start? Okay. Um, let's talk first about the problems with dissecting the election. Uh, so, so immediately... The election isn't over yet, obviously. Uh, As you mentioned, we're recording this on Friday. Something strange could happen. Obviously, it looks like at this point that Joe Biden will be our next president. Fingers crossed. I am sure that is 100% because you and I argued that Joe Biden should be our next president and everybody listened to us. Um, But of course, before the election was over, before the first day of the election was over, people were freaking out. I was freaking out. I assume you were freaking out. And then we got a wave of think pieces about what had gone wrong. And so, uh, like, obviously, have things have changed for a couple of days. In some ways, things really did go wrong because there was this assumption, I think, by a lot of the media based on the polling, that there was going to be a blue wave. And it that didn't happen. So the real, to me, like, I am happy that Joe Biden won. I'm also 
really kind of disappointed because as long as Mitch McConnell has the Senate, we're probably not going to see a lot of progress in the next four years. Um, so in some ways, this is going to be business as usual, a stonewalled, you know, Congress basically unable to get legislation done because these two parties cannot fucking figure out how to get along with each other, how to pass anything. Uh, it's going to be like the Obama years and like the Trump years um, when probably not that much gets passed. You know, that's a, that's a disappointment. Right. It, it, it really is. Um, if you're expecting like big sweeping changes in progressive legislation, I think you have come to the wrong place because Mitch McConnell's not going to let that happen. So there was not a blue wave. Biden, it looks like, will eke out a victory. Some of the polls were right. Some of the polls were were wildly off base. Um, and I think, it, you know, it was pretty shocking to a lot of us on the left that so many people still like Donald Trump. It seems really shocking that so many people can like Donald Trump because he, to many of us, he is so obviously unfit for this position. Yeah. That said, immediately after, or not even after the race, immediately after the day of the race, all of these think pieces come out dissecting what went wrong. And the narrative that I continue to see on the in the New York Times, on NPR, is the same narrative that we saw in 2016, which is that there is one single reason that Donald Trump does well in this country, and that is racism. That is it. There are no competing forces. It has nothing to do with policy. It has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with the fact that the man is an incumbent or a celebrity. And some people just fucking like him for some reason. Some people were fans of The Apprentice. There can be how many, how many people voted in, the, in this election? 150 million. There could be 150 million different reasons for people to, to vote the way that they do. But what I've been seeing is just this reduction of all of that. This isn't across the board. I'm talking specifically about a couple of columns in the New York Times and some shit that I heard on NPR that it's racism, that that's it. And to me, it's very frustrating to hear this because it's simplistic thinking. And I think it's incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the problem as things stand now, Friday, 118 p.m., is is this was a muddled result. The extent to which Biden himself did not underperform that much. So, okay. It looks like he will underperform his polling expectations in the popular vote by like maybe a few points. As things stand, it looks like he won back that crucial blue firewall of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And then he flipped. But he did, but he did, sorry to interrupt you, Cindy, but he did underperform. Like, I think the polling was that, it, like, uh, I don't know if it was Nate Silver or what polls, but I, what I've been seeing is that the projection was that he was going to win Wisconsin by eight points. Yeah, there was something in the neighborhood of like a six to eight point polling miss in Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio, which is like, this is after 2016, all these pollsters said, we're going to fix what went wrong. And in the states where it mattered, they didn't. To be clear, Nate Silver is an aggregator, not a pollster. So he just averaged, you know, there's plenty to critique of his methodology. Right. We're going to talk about this in a Patreon episode. Um in terms of the end result, if you had told a Biden fan before the election, he'll win those states, he'll flip Georgia, as appears very likely, and flip Arizona, albeit a lot of tight margins, that is overall a good outcome. The problem is down ballot, uh, a lot of House races, Democrats terribly underperformed. Senate, they're not going to – well, there could be a double runoff in Georgia, which will be a spectacle of its own January 5th. They'd be a long shot to win both those races. Um it seems unlikely they'll control the Senate. So there was 
that was 75% chance 538 said that they'd control the Senate too. So all these dreams have been dashed of like a truly progressive administration. And I think it's, it's fair to ask what went wrong. You know, just to reduce it to one force, including white supremacy, really just leaves out some of the complexity here. And the fact that I don't think the average voter who doesn't read the New York Times and listen to a lot of NPR, that includes a lot of Democratic voters, I think they understand politics in a very different way from us and our media colleagues. Right. And so this happened. The reason that this is so frustrating is that this happened before. We did this in 2016. And the the message that, that a lot of pundits, particularly on the left, continued to push was that the reason that Donald Trump lost, or I'm sorry, the reason that Hillary Clinton lost was because voters are sexist and voters are racist. They seem to ignore the fact that there was a significant number of people who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Donald Trump. I find it very hard to believe that a, an Obama voter would, someone who was willing to vote for a black man would become so racist in 2016 that that is why they would vote for Donald, that they heard his racist dog whistles and they said, that's the man for me. I just find that really hard to believe, but we're hearing that. We're hearing that again. And there have been these exit polls. And we should say, like, exit polls are bad. <laughs> exit polls are, are not actually reflective, especially this time around, um, of the way of like the reasons that people vote, in part because a lot of people voted by mail. And you can't do exit polls with people who vote by mail. Um, yeah. And that shows that like this methodology is is not working. But so, like, did you see the Charles Blow column in the New York Times? I, yeah, I didn't have it in me to read the whole thing, but it was just a reiteration of these same old themes, right? Yeah, he said, so there's this, these initial uh, initial um, exit polls. And one of them, for instance, said that that 18% of black men voted for Donald Trump. Again, like we should not, we probably shouldn't even be talking about exit polls because exit polls are so fucking flawed. The name of the column was exit polls point to the power of white patriarchy. And then within that piece, he points out that according to these same exit polls that he is saying point to the power of white patriarchy, Trump got historic support among minority groups and LGBTQ groups. It just, it's such a, like, he's contradicting himself within the same, within this one piece. And his like rationale for that is like, well, white people or people of color can also serve white, white patriarchy. Like the only possible reason that a black person or a Latino person or a gay person would vote for Donald Trump is because of this internalized white supremacy. Yeah, it's like sort of a false consciousness argument or like it, it's right. just a brand of understanding the world that puts white people at the center of everything. White people are the only ones who have true agency. Every other group's politics has to be explained through the lens of white people. And one thing that jumped out at me from that column was – um. Blow quotes uh, human rights campaign's president, Alfonso Davis, who said, I think a few months ago, quote, the Trump-Pence administration is the most virulently anti-LGBTQ administration in decades. <laughs> that, that's, that's ridiculous. That's laughable. Anyone who is around for the Bush years, which this was only two presidents ago, well, three if we consider Trump's over, but this was in the aughts. Not long ago, conservatives were openly saying we should have a um, constitutional amendment banning gay marriage. That that doesn't mean Donald Trump hasn't done fucked up shit. The trans military ban, a lot of culture war stuff, like stuff that I view as genuinely anti-trans, but it's like, it's like if you're in the DC, New York media world, it's sort of obviously true that things are as bad and racist and anti-Semitic and anti-LGBTQ as they've always been. That's like what you're supposed to believe as a liberal, but to anyone with a broader understanding of the world, like you could understand why that messaging that we're in a bigotry crisis might not work 
on people who aren't in these circles. Like people's understanding of their own prospects in the world are a little bit more complicated as evidenced by the fact that so many people apparently don't even think Trump really bungled the COVID response, which I think he bungled horribly. This It just shows this real lack of, of historical context too. Like, did you forget the Bush years? Did you forget the Clinton years? I mean, did you forget the Defense of Marriage Act? This was not that long ago. I remember this shit. I'm not as old as Charles Blow was. He should remember these things. Or or the HRC president who, uh, who initially said this. He should really remember these things. I mean, even Obama wasn't in favor of gay marriage until he was in favor of gay marriage. Things have shifted really rapidly on this. I believe that Mike Prince is probably homophobic. I think he probably is. He's deeply Christian. Is evangelical yes he's he's a religious type there was there was some sort of overblown i think claims about him and conversion therapy in indiana he is safe to say he is not a friend of the gays right but the idea that this has been the most virulently anti-lgbtq administration in decades it's just not true and that isn't because they are like pro-gay people that they are super liberal that they are friends of the gays this is because the culture has shifted it has nothing to do with them it's just a reflection of where the culture is but that's just sort of a microcosm of like i i reiterated my point um that I, I just think Trump, now that we can evaluate his first term versus George W. Bush's, I just think George W. Bush's was way worse. And, Agreed. And part of the reason people respond negatively to that claim is because there is this style of like slightly paranoid political analysis where we're on the verge of fascism. Things are as bad as they ever were. People are getting gunned down constantly by cops and the police. None of those things are entirely false. If we had a more Hungarian system of government, I have no doubt Trump would be an actual strongman. But the endless drumbeat of just like existential panic does not resonate with the average voter. I just think people see the world a little bit differently. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily think they're worse off in 2020 than they were in like, you know, 2008. Yeah, and that's all. I mean, that, and that's despite a pandemic. And I, I often think like this is sort of a, it's a dumb metric because the reality is that most people are better off, you know, four years from. I'll probably be better off four years from now than I am at this exact moment, just because of the way that like the aging process works, and because people tend to make more money as they get further along in their career. Twenty years ago, I was in high school, then I was in college, then I was a young adult, and then I got a job. You know, it's just this like natural progression of the way that things go. Um, that's, that's got nothing to do with the president at all. But, you know, this idea, like, are you better off than you were four years ago? Well, yeah, I am better off than I was four years ago. Yeah. But that's got, you know, it's got nothing to do with who the fucking president is. It could be Obama. It could be Clinton. It could be Bush. It could be whoever. And still, like, I'm better off than I was just because, like, this is how shit works in life. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is, like, if you are a normie, You've had four years now of media coverage suggesting, you know, Trump is a Russian asset. He's going to institute fascism. This is going to be the most horrific thing ever. Toward the end of his term, a true catastrophe emerged. That is the COVID crisis. Even there, he's done a horrible job. But even there, Europe is not doing much better. This might be one of those things where it's just like horrible, but there wasn't a huge amount. It's just I I, I can understand why people have stopped it's like a chicken little thing like i don't think the average normie voter necessarily agrees with the new york and dc intelligentsia that that this is in trump was an existential threat to democracy like clearly a lot of people hate him his approval ratings were low he will have lost by not a tiny margin i just think the average voter's way of processing the country and the world is a little bit more complicated than these black and white narratives you know i think i figured out what happened you know all those celebrity get out and vote messages (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Trump voters listened to them. I think that was exactly. the problem. I think it was the naked celebrity get out and vote. I think they should have been more specific. You vote, not you. That's what I'm always like. When we talk about uh, turnout, like I don't the sort of person who gets to the week of an election and they're still not sure who to vote for. I'm not sure they should vote, you know, <laughs> I mean, turnout was historically high. And part of that is probably because people either love or hate Donald Trump. But it's also probably because it's really fucking easy to vote by mail. Um, and there were longer voting periods. You know, there's a lot of talk about voter suppression. But many places are thank God, making it easier to vote. It's a lot easier than it was. You know, I think the first time I voted, you had a day. Yeah, I, I think despite Republicans' best efforts, because I think people have been right to criticize them for their voter suppression totally. attempts, that, that didn't work. That was one nightmare that did not come to pass. There were very few ballot access problems for which we should be thankful. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you see the uh, the leaks from the the House Democrats meeting yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I think you you looked more closely at them, but this was like such a telling little spat between uh, people in different parts of the Democratic establishment. Yeah, so I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this in the next in the next uh, four years. So this was a Democratic caucus call uh, between Nancy Pelosi and other uh, other members of the House. So there's a, a Virginia Democrat named Abigail Spanberger. Apparently, she's fairly moderate. And on this call, she this is according to Erica Warder, who was getting leaks. She's a um, a Washington Post reporter. She said this isn't a direct quote, but uh, she's this the gist of it was. We lost, this is Spamberger speaking. We lost races we shouldn't have lost. Defund the, defund police almost cost me my race because of an attack ad. Don't say socialism ever again. You need to get back to the basics. Apparently she was yelling on this call. God, I would have fucking loved to be on the call. This yeah. makes absolute sense to me. And the reality is that like, there are probably a, like a, I'm guessing that there were probably a couple of like, you know, DSA types who actually did run on a platform of, you know, defunding the police or whatever, maybe, maybe like out here in Seattle or, or in Olympia. But this was not the like mainstream democratic position it was not defund the police or abolish the police. Joe Biden did not say this. Kamala Harrison say this. In fact, Joe Biden said the opposite. He said, like, we need more police funding. Um, you know, you need money to reform the police. You need money for things like for, ha for Harris, it would have to be like defund myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. So, uh, but so this shows this tension between, you know, the progressive wing of the, of the party and the moderates. So Spamberger says this, I completely sympathize with her because I think that the message did get muddled. Even if Joe Biden, even if the Democrats are not saying we want to defund the police, we want to live in a, in a state with no police presence. There's this assumption on the part of many people that that's a democratic position, right? Yeah. And part of that is, I think, the fault of the media, because you have outlets like the New York Times or Vox or whoever are making this actual point. These are not the people who run the who run the Democratic platform, but they are people who influence the conversation. And if you have all of these left wing outlets making this argument, people are going to just they're going to assume that this, the two are the same thing, that Democrats are in favor of de defunding the police. It's not fair. And of course, like then, you know, Tucker Carlson and Fox sticks those two things together, yeah. even if they're not the same thing. And it's easy to do that. You know, Joe Biden is not a socialist. Joe Biden is not a Marxist by any means. You wouldn't know that if you turned on Fox News or if you like were hooked into like right wing Twitter. Um, so I do think that Democrats need to need to like actually do a better job of pushing back on this narrative. And I don't think it helps them that you have people who write for the media 
saying, no, really, we do mean abolish the police. We do mean this. Yeah. Like, I'm not opposed to, like, if you want to run a silly column about police abolition, that's fine. But I've written in my newsletter a couple of times about, like, the Times and, like, Vox's coverage of it. It's, like, the, the amount of attention and seriousness given to the abolish the police position simply— Which is a fucking ridiculous idea. Like, let's just—it's ridiculous. Which is a ridiculous position. It is. It's ridiculous. And— not only is it ridiculous, the proponents are do such a shitty job of defending it that even in softball interviews and like Vox, they come across as ridiculous. But yeah, the, the defense is like, do the reading. But the problem is, if you're like one of the fucking leftist cool kid media types, you have to pretend this is a serious idea. As we saw when like a Vox writer literally said this is a bad idea on Twitter, got piled on. Re- this is Zach Bochamp reversed his position like an hour later. This is just the the media is sort of such a circle jerk right now and just. I, some of the reaction I saw on Twitter from like big media types made it out as though if you are against defunding the police, you don't care about black people or you don't care about racial justice. When defunding the police seems to be a more popular position among white liberals than black liberals, at least in Minneapolis, which is that tells you everything you know and it makes I mean, sense. It, it's it's obvious. It's fucking obvious. Like, okay, when I was at The Stranger, we would do these endo- – I might have talked about this on the podcast before, but we would do these endorsement meetings where candidates would come in and they would make their pitch for why we should endorse them for, you know, whatever the run- race they were running for. There was a city council meeting a couple years ago – or city council uh, election a couple years ago, maybe last year. And you had a black candidate – we asked about defunding the police and of course, uh, you know, abolishing the police, defunding the police, fewer police. Like that's always going to be the stranger's position. The fewer police, the better. So we were asking the candidates about this and there's a black candidate, progressive black candidate, um, you know, who, who want, who was running to represent a, uh, like a, a black neighborhood, a black district. And this person said, no, we want better policing. We don't want to defund the police. We don't want to abolish the police. We want more effective policing. And the white people in the room were just like, you don't get it. You and not just white people. I shouldn't say that. There were also people of color in the room who also believe the same thing. But it's just like it's not. You are saying this from the safety of your fucking bubble. You are not saying this from a neighborhood that has a lot of crime in it. Yeah, there's there's a complete disconnect. In in Minnesota, the stats were that even the position of should the Minneapolis police force be reduced at all at all was 15 points underwater among black voters of of Minneapolis who are of course an overwhelmingly democratic block this 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 and a few other ideas including like casual invocations of how socialism is cool these are not ideas that are like widely held among working class people this is a more privileged bubble thing and it is um and it just, it looked, there was also this thing where like AOC had this snarky tweet toward Claire McCaskill. Claire McCaskill made similar points. She made them in sort of a boomerish, not that sensitive way, but she was basically like, you know, we're fixated on some of this culture stuff, on defunding the police, on trans stuff. And AOC was like, why would we take advice from someone who lost? Well, you know what, AOC, I respect you. Why don't you try to run? In like a purple Missouri district and see how you do. Get out right. of Queens. And this, right. this really is what it comes down to. There, like if you're the squad, you can afford to run certain kinds of campaigns that you cannot afford to run in the vast swaths of the country where if the Democrats are not going to be a minority party, they need to win. There is a reason that Bernie Sanders can win in Vermont, right? I mean, this is just like the demographics are just different. 
it's very frustrating. I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how the pollster is really fucked up over the past, you know, several months or whatever. But to me, it's really the media, the way that the media has interpreted the polls, the, the messaging of the media. And, and I don't think that's going to change. You know, I, I hope, I would hope that there would be some introspection here. But do you remember after 2016 and there was this like, everybody was like fucking shocked. Oh my God, how could, have, how could this happen? How could Donald Trump win? Like, it, you know, it seemed like an impossibility to uh, like, p- to every fucking pundit. And there was a brief moment of, of introspection when it was like, oh, maybe we need to get out of our echo chamber and like talk to people in the middle of the country. Um, maybe we should do that so that we like actually have more of a, like our finger on the pulse of what actually is going on. I don't think we're even going to see that this time because the last time around that would happen, somebody would like profile a Trump voter and then get fucking dogpiled for it. Yeah. And reporters and pundits are so terrified of being out of the good graces of their friends and colleagues and blue check mark Twitter that they will not do things like go and talk to conservatives because they are scared of getting yelled at on the internet. I'm also like, I'm torn on this because I do think um, if you interviewed the average Trump supporter, you would not get that far into the conversation before they would express like maybe some misinformation. I do think there's a lot of misinformation on the right about basic stuff, which maybe we'll get into more in the second half of the show with this whole like these fabricated notions of a stolen election. I, I don't think that question is easy. I think at the very least, um, don't even make it more like middle of the country white people. Why not talk to more black and Latino people without college degrees? Those are the, those are the blocks where there's like real issues with holding the coalition together, like Democratic coalitions, like Latinos continue to go about a third for the Republicans. There's huge, huge heterogeneity there. I think black voters vote overwhelmingly for Democrats, but I bet we'll see in some places, you know, less than stellar turnout, except in like big cities like Philadelphia. I just there's a way to cover the middle of the country that isn't condescending and dumb and just like relaying Fox News misinformation. I just don't think media has found it yet. And I think, as you're saying, that impulse that we just shouldn't even bother with these people is terrible. Exactly. And I have very little faith that that will uh, change this time around. Jesse, I don't know about you, but the first thing I do when I go to a new friend's house is go to their bathroom and look for two things, prescription drugs and dental floss. If I see the new Quip refillable floss pick, this tells me something very important, that my new friend listens to a lot of podcasts. It also tells me that my friend cares about gum health and the environment, because unlike most floss picks, the Quip refillable floss pick is totally reusable. A single refill pod replaces over 180 single-use plastic flossers, so it cuts down on waste and litter. It works great with Quip's sleek electric toothbrush, and it tells all the weirdos hunting through your medicine cabinet that you've got immaculate taste and some clean-ass teeth. Plus, with Quip products, you can get amazing rewards just for brushing your teeth every day, like free products and discounts. Quip also delivers you new brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months from just $5. Shipping is always free, so you can save money and skip the store, which you should probably do anyway since it's a global pandemic and you're not supposed to leave your house and you're scared of the outside world, even under normal circumstances. Bring delight to your everyday brushing and join the over 5 million mouths brushing with Quip. Those are just disembodied floating mouths starting at just $25. Go to getquip.com slash barpod right now and you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash barpod, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash barpod. Quip, better oral health made simple.
Okay, so so those are some of our initial thoughts on sort of like the progressive lefty response to this election. Suffice it to say, we'll have a clearer sense of all this soon. I don't think you and I are going to stop having any fodder to talk about in terms of like dumb, essentialist, progressive stuff anytime soon, right? No, I don't think that the Biden administration is going to kill the podcast. In fact, I think it, <laughs> I think it might be good for us because now we can be the resistance like within a source of power as opposed to be res- the source, the resistance out of the source of power. Or if Uncle Joe wants to name us uh, co-secretaries of the newly formed Department of Podcasting, I'll just I'll become a shell if the paycheck's right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It'll be it'll be taxpayer money. So it's not even being a shell. It's being a, a man of the people. <laughs> So I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that like some really crazy shit has been going on on the right and is continuing to go on as we uh, as we record this. So my view is there is like basically nothing Trump can do at this point to actually threaten the election result because it is not going to be close enough. He is going to lose by several states. This is not a Florida 2000 situation. Watching Trump's meltdown here has been a little bit scary, but it's also been a little bit incredible because like, I I feel like what people don't realize about Trump or maybe an aspect of his personality that gets downplayed or ignored because there's so much else going on is like, this is a lazy, intellectually incurious motherfucker, right? Very. That is his, that is his calling card. He is, he's a fucking egomaniac, but a lazy one. Yes. And, and so that's why like, he does seem to have energy and drive if it's like, judging modeling contests in Russia or doing a lot of campaign events. He's tireless when it comes to stoking his own ego, but he's lazy. He doesn't care about anything. So what struck me, especially with like that bizarre election night thing where he, he says he's going to go to SCOTUS, which even GOP election lawyers were like, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what he's going to appeal to SCOTUS about. Like, you know, This reminds me of, we talked about this on the last Patreon episode. This reminds me of the people who are convinced that the Supreme Court is going to overturn gay marriage because they don't over- understand how the Supreme Court works. That is yeah, Trump. Yeah. Trump is the person saying, like, I have to go get gay married right now because tomorrow the Supreme Court is going to unilaterally decide that gay marriage is invalidated. This isn't how the shit works. Like, there is a process. No. And at least with them, they can look at Obergefell and like point to one case and right. misunderstand a little. Trump, like, and they're and they aren't the president. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Trump didn't really bother to figure out exactly what his messaging would be to the point where at different points he's tweeting, "Stop, stop the count," or "Count all the votes." And for most of the time, he and his followers were tweeting, "Stop the count." Stopping the count would have given him the would given Biden the presidency. There was just like, this is such a fitting end because there was, it was just like reptile brain grunting and screaming. There was no strategy there at all. I like. I don't think that this is going to like at all change the minds of people who have been screaming that Trump is a fascist for the past four years. They're still going to think it. They're going to spend the next two months being like, it's coming. Like the civil war is coming. The fascism is coming because people just catastrophize about this stuff. What this tells me is that the man is an idiot, which is why I don't take him that seriously because he's fucking stupid. He's just like, it's word salad. He has half of a brain. I don't know. I don't find it that threatening. Like he has shown himself to be totally incompetent over the past four years. Very few of his idiotic plans have been implemented. He's a bumbling idiot. He, if he, if he had his way, he would be a strong man, but he hasn't. Our institutions have held up and he is frankly too fucking stupid to like seize the reins of power and actually do anything with it. Well, that's the thing. Like if we had a federal judiciary that was 30% more corrupt and partisan, you could see shit like this working or if the election were closer. 
there's warning side, there's like cracks in the system, but overall, like in part because our system is so decentralized and disorganized and there's like 50 state elections boards, like it, there was just no real way for him to steal the election. I, you know, I feel a little bit bad for these schmucks who are just bathing in far right media, who from election night on convinced themselves that something deeply suspicious was afoot. Mostly yeah, because- but Jesse, the same thing that happened, the same thing happened in 2016. I mean, like, do you remember this immediately, like immediately everybody went into conspiracy brain. It was Russian hacking. It was Jill Stein. Jill Stein was a Russian plant. Um, we did this like not I- us in particular, but I think people do like you go through like the grieving process and it's like the whatever the Kubler-Ross steps of grieving. But in this case, it's like first step, lean into conspiracy theories. First step, Russia. Right, right, Russia, right. Okay, we'll see how things look in a couple weeks. My my theory is that this is going to become a part of American conservative canon, that this election was capital S stolen. Yeah, but that's what happened with the 2016 election, too. No, so liberal canon uh, for most Democrats is the Russians interfered and tricked people into voting for Democrats, for Trump with WikiLeaks and stuff. And Comey- That's a little bit different from saying the actual vote count is illegitimate. I think it's a more serious charge. I don't know. I think people, I think a lot of people still think that Trump was never a legitimate president, which I think you can actually make a better argument for in 2016 because our, but not because he stole the election, but because he lost the popular vote. And that's just our fucked up system. I mean, I still feel like George Bush stole the election from, uh, from Al Gore because I don't think that we should run our elections according to the Electoral College and not the popular vote. Well, and that, and there was a genuinely suspect Supreme Court ruling that I think like smart, Bush v. Gore was just like such a weird one-off event. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think this is one case in which I'm just, I'm more worried about the right wing, um, in misinformation ecosystem than the left because like, again, okay, Rachel Maddow railed against Russia. It's, it's just different from like believing. So Biden, I think is going to win by five or six million votes and by fairly healthy margins, albeit small ones in places like Pennsylvania. Um, you know, that's really fucked up that so many people were so misinformed about the way vote counting works that they really think like the fact that these late votes that we knew were going to be overwhelmingly blue were overwhelmingly blue. Like, you know, that's not good that a lot of people seem to think that's a problem. That said, like the sort of the Kate man, like there's going to be widespread right wing violence in the streets. I, I don't really see any signs of that, despite, you know, the fucking 150 yahoos, some of them with rifles outside the Maricopa counting spot. Like that's worrisome. But I, I'm not really I don't think this stuff is going to get much worse. I mean, we have seen violence, but the violence that I've, that at least I'm aware of is not coming from the right at this point. There has been some scary shit like showing up at these wherever people are like counting the votes and demanding that they stop. It's hilarious, but it's also fucking scary. Um, that, you know, like, like, like pounding on the door of the board of elections and demanding that people that they like let you in to observe it or stop the vote or whatever. It's totally crazy, but you do have, I mean, there have been protests in Seattle and in Portland and I'm sure in other cities across America for the past couple of days. Some of them, of course, have gotten violent because that's just how this shit works now, you know. Yeah, um, I, I just I'm I'm I watched some Fox News last night, and the extent to which Hannity, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram were really trying to gin up a potential like crisis. I don't think they'll be able to, but I think it should worry us a little bit that like there was no there there. There are all these like rumors that are just. Uh, festering on Twitter. And I just, I don't know, man, I think next time around it could be closer and more dangerous and that we sort of dodged a bullet here. 
What are the rumors? Tell me the craziest ones. A lot of them just have to do with the idea that a bunch of votes need to be thrown out because observers, uh, GOP observers were banned from a polling place. This is a severe twisting of there was one dispute, I think, in Philadelphia over whether observers had to be 20 feet versus six feet away. That is not the same as observers being banned from a polling place. And moreover, right. no one has actually pointed to suspected, you know, nefarious activity. It's just this weird extension of, well, they were only 20 feet away. So if there had been stuff going on, they couldn't see it. And this is getting repeated by everyone to the point where Trump, a Trump campaign lawyer in Philly appeared before a judge, I guess, via Zoom. And the judge was like, what's the issue here? Tell me how many uh, monitors you guys have in there. And the guy was like, you know, we have like 12 or 20. And the judge was like, okay, so you have monitors in there. I'm not saying there have been no disputes at the margins about like how close the observers could be, but no one anywhere. This is what worries me. The the Russiagate stuff was based on a couple kernels of truth, including that Russian hackers like got into WikiLeaks, the John Podesta stuff. Russia did try to interfere with the election. There's a kernel of truth there. How far you want to extrapolate it is, is there's some subjectivity. There is no evidence of the level of voter fraud that would call any of these results into question. That's why I just think that's a, um, a stronger charge. And it worries me that so many people believe it. Yeah. I, I just think in a country this big with hundreds of millions of votes, like there's going to be, or I, I forget what that, I think 160 million votes. Like you, you will find, isolated things around the country i'm just saying there's nothing to justify the crazy right-wing rumors being spread and, and yeah let's look we can both look more to this texas thing and uh you know update people if any explanation is proffered a week or two from now i just it doesn't surprise me that there's some random shit being posted from people around the country that's just different from the idea that like oh yeah we've shown something is seriously amiss here i hope this stuff calms down in a couple of weeks i just i think it's going to take on the status of just Republican canon, and uh, that's irresponsible. It's just, I saw, you know, Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham, they shouldn't be stoking this stuff. Other GOP figures, to their credit, uh, including Pat Toomey, have just said, we're going to count the votes. There's no real evidence of fraud, which is important. And and Fox News kneecapped, like, <laughs> Trump's burgeoning excitement that it would be closed by calling to Arizona probably too early. So there was, like, there was mixed weird stuff going on in right-wing media, but... um. Yeah. If if you had to guess now, do you think he's going to run again in 2024? Why would he? Like the salary is not great. He'll be old as shit by that point. He loves the attention though and the power. He does, but he'll get more, he'll get attention no matter what he does. I think he'll start a podcast. Trump TV, Trump pod. There's going to be a lot of media opportunity. He also has a lot of debt to dig out of. So maybe he should focus on that. I think if anybody from the family runs, it'll be Ivanka. What about Don Jr.? Can you imagine? <laughs> Dude, the, Rep- the Republicans have like, so they had a good night and they, they, dodged a bullet of really being genuinely out of power for at least a couple of years, but they need to figure out what the fuck to do because there will be a Trumpy candidate in 2024 and their, their base does not like like Mitt Romney or Marco Rubio or these other like suit wearing squares. They want the more populist. They want type. Tucker. Even though, you know, <laughs> what? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Even though he's also a suit wearing square, but he's also can speak like the Trumpish lane. Like it's all fake. The Trump populism, right. obviously, because Trump is no more authentic a working person than fucking Tucker Carlson. Tucker but, Carlson is the heir to like the Swanson's chicken. Yeah. So it's just there's this real divide that it's going to be interesting to see how it's resolved bef- between like D.C. consultants um, who who don't want the party to be like that anti-immigration and then the base, which is pretty far to the right and pretty anti-immigration and pretty culturally aggrieved. So like 
it'll be interesting to see how they resolve that. Cause I just don't think they can win with the current map with like a boring Marco Rubio type candidate. We'll see what happens. I mean, it also depends. A lot of this depends on how districts are drawn. Um, you know, if, if, if districts continue to be gerrymandered in favor of Republicans, they do have these, these fucking advantages, uh, in elections. What's your, what's your sense of the frequently, um, spouted take, including by yours truly, that ID politics, identity politics is killing the Democrats? Yeah. So look, I, I, I did my own long tweet storm about how I think they, they've lost the ability to talk to a lot of working people. Um, we both agree on that. I'm just, I'm resistant to boiling down this result to any one thing in part because like, as the week goes on, Biden's margin looks better and better. It's not going to end up that close. I, I just think like all these Latino districts. Okay. So Cubans are one thing because Cubans are very Republican, very ag, like very pro Trump, like Rio Grande districts in Texas that are heavily Latino that swung fairly wildly to Trump. These are not like, I don't think wealthy suburban Latinos who often vote like white people in the sense of being more conservative. Someone needs to figure out what the fuck is going on there. Cause that's not going to work in the long run. And I guess what I'm getting at is like, if the Democrats are going to talk constantly about race and identity and be the, the party of outspoken multiculturalism, and then they can't even clean up solid margins among these groups. I mean, what are, that's not good. Something's broken. I just, I'm not sure I would, um, reduce the whole result to all or mostly identity politics. I agree. I mean, I don't think this can be reduced down to any one factor. I do think, however, that the perception that Democrats are the party of the working person, the party of the people has changed. And now the perception among many is that Democrats are the party of the elites. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's really a shame. You know, it's, it's less about, about like, coal miners union is more about the buzzfeed union and i don't yep. think that i don't think that touches people andrew yang was on i guess on cnn talking about how um how when he was running for for the during the primary he would talk to you know working class people and he would say he was running as a democrat and they would sort of like viscerally like shudder um and then so this this like tweet went viral and the response from a bunch of fucking people, including like, you know, no, the Noah Berlatskis of the world was to just accuse him immediately of racism because he said like Democrats need to get back to bread and butter issues and stop focusing on these boutique elite culture war issues. Um, I think he's right. And every time if like, if you hear the word working class and your immediate assumption is that Andrew Yang or whoever is talking about the white working class, you're the person who has a race problem, not them. Working class is a big, big, like a large group of people. It is not one race. It is not a monolith. But I think he's right that like, we need to get out of the culture war business and talk about the shit that really affects people's lives, which is not things like, pronouns and trans women in sports and you know and defunding the police not that any democrat ran on that on that platform um but i think the perception mostly because of the media is that these are the issues that democrats care about and the idea that like what you just said means that you're arguing that like trans people should be thrown under the bus or that we shouldn't talk about police reform that's what annoys me because there are ways of talking about these issues that can garner a lot of support. Like, Obama did it. Obama did it. North, so North Carolina, um, if my memory is correct, the governorship flipped red to blue largely because of a bathroom bill that was hugely unpopular. 
Like, and that's the state that just went for Trump. Well, this was, so this was, and what's, what year was this? Like 2014, maybe 2015. So Pat McCrory was Republican governor and Pat had been the sort of centrist, moderate Republican governor of Charlotte. People liked him. And then he was in Charlotte is a liberal city. And then he was elected governor and he leaned into these like red state culture war issues, became way more socially conservative and then tried to pass this anti-trans bathroom bill. People hated it. And not just people who like are in favor of trans rights. What also happened is that all of these industries pulled out of North Carolina immediately. And then so it becomes an economic issue. And then the next year, you know, he loses to um, loses to Roy Cooper, who's a who's a who's a a Democrat. I will say I am like very one of the, the things I'm most disappointed about. And the election results is that Madison Cawthorn, this fucking hot 25-year-old with literally no work experience, is now representing my home district in North Carolina. And he won against that. He was running for like a, a former military colonel named Mo Davis, who was like eminently qualified. Here's what Mo Davis did. He tweeted that Madison Cawthorn, this 25-year-old kid who happens to be in a wheelchair, that he was going to stomp on his neck. And then he lost. Surprise, surprise. Jesus Christ. Stomp man. on his neck. You cannot say that about your fucking political opponents, even if they kind of deserve it. The um, the part of the problem with like starting your messaging from like what people in D.C. and New York like and just moving outward from there is like Democrats have a lot of policy advantages. Like so Florida just went solidly for Trump. They also passed a $15 minimum wage. All these other states passed like uh, drug legalization and weed. There's a set of issues where Democrats enjoy a great advantage in terms of people's political preferences if they can stick to the issues and keep it away from culture war bullshit. Uh, bread and butter issues do much better than these slightly more esoteric, specific, radical ideas. And I just – this idea that anyone who makes that argument is a secret reactionary is so fucking stupid because to repeat for the eight millionth time, the average black Democrat just – out there in the world does not want to defund or abolish the police and probably has more conservative views on a lot of social issues than the New York and DC people who, who run media or who produce most media output. You know, I, speaking of weed, I, I genuinely think that if Biden had run on federal, on legalizing weed on a federal level, this would have been, a, I think that the blue wave would have happened. I think this would have just been a bloodbath. Um, and Biden is not of, of all the Democrats who ran in the primary. Biden was just about the least progressive when it comes to weed. He talked about like taking it off the, you know, the, the federal, uh, like schedule, whatever schedule one list, but he didn't talk about legalizing it federally. That is a winner. It is a, like you can see that in conservative states, people will show up to legalize weed, even people who don't smoke weed, because for one thing, it's good for the economy. It is like pot shops are doing great. Liquor stores and pot shops, they're, they are recession proof. Um, you know, it's, it's, this is a, this is, could be a very easy winning issue. This is not like fucking, you know, drug scare years of like the 1950s. Talk about legalizing weed. Don't be scared of it. Do you agree with this recently tweeted hot take from our friend of the pod, Alice from Queens? <laughs> Hi, Alice. What, hey, Alice. Wonder how the news media justifies all the publicity that they gave the patently ridiculous and impotent Proud Boys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm so, I'm so shocked that these fucking, 
50 schmucks were not able to like storm election places like it's like transitional Iraq. I'm shocked that they weren't. I mean, it's like people are disappointed too. Like, where's our civil war? We were promised a civil war. We were promised fascism. We were promised a civil war. We were promised gay people in the camps. What's that happening? And I'm not talking about conservatives. I'm talking about liberals who seem to want the worst possible fucking outcomes for some reason. The Proud Boys. Jesus. Do you think there's going to be any sort of reckoning where people actually like reflect on, uh, on the like immense catastrophizing they've done over the past four years and say something like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that Trump was a fascist every day in the pages of the New York Times. Maybe that was, maybe I was incorrect about that. Did you see, uh, I couldn't resist. I got blocked by him forever ago, but, um, Jason, uh, Stanley, the Yale professor and author of, uh, fascism, fascism, fascism. Yeah. He, he tweeted, he basically tweeted that, People like him in the humanities had been ignored in, in favor of like quantitative types. He didn't mention Nate Silver, but he meant Nate <laughs> wait, Silver. Wait. The idea that, that we haven't had enough times columns from like philosophers about fascism and the patriarchy in the Trump years that that would have lent us more analytical insight. Like what the dude, hell are you talking about, dude? I just want the Biden administration to ignore these people. That's what I want. I don't know if it's going to happen. It probably won't. I'm still like way more concerned to, than you about like this shit being like ushered into, into the White House. I'm afraid about fucking Jason Stanley being named to like the, the, this, the Department of Philosophy and Ibram Kendi being named to the Department of Reparations or whatever. The Biden administration needs to ignore these people. America is just not that fucking progressive. It is not that woke. It is not. It is not. We need to like reflect the beliefs of the people. But this should, this should nudge you in my direction that there was no way Biden was ever going to have like a radical cabinet because now he did not get the full repudiation of Trump and he has a fucking vital midterm election that's already right around the corner. 2022 is like tomorrow. I think it depends on where the pressure is coming from, right? Because the thing is like if he, if he sort of goes with this like centrist, moderate cabinet, then what he's going to get is backlash from the media. He's going to get like yelled at on Twitter, basically. I don't think Biden gives a shit about that. Biden probably has never logged onto Twitter in his life. But his, if his staffers do, I think that's where the pressure point is, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I wanted full democratic control of everything. Uh, so I'm not happy about that. I just, I think the wokeness concerns are going to prove misplaced, but I guess we will, uh, We'll see if you and I get um get sent off to the gender re-education gulags. <laughs> Everybody comes out and they them. Anything else? I mean, so we're about to record a patrons episode where we have some more to say about um what we're gonna do. It's gonna be half another election segment about Nate Silver and then half back to our internet bullshit bread and butter. But anything else you want to say about this election, this episode? Oh man, I'm just fucking so glad that it's over. Almost over. Almost over. This has been a long week. It's been a long four years. I just want Trump to like retire to Mar-a-Lago, live out his life on a farm somewhere. This has been a stressful week. It's taken forever. Relief is going to set in. It is, it is very important that we got rid of this motherfucker. I, it's a big deal and, and things could have been much worse. Whatever complaints we have, whatever disappointments we have, he just represented the worst of America. And I hope we can 
learn some lessons a little bit more complicated than like everyone who supports him is a monster because people are more complicated than that. There's a lot of people in this country. Some of them are monsters, but a lot of them aren't. And we just need to like realize that people are individuals. Everyone like this rhetoric has been repeated in the media a lot this week. Latinos are not monoliths. I would like to point out that Latinx is actually our monoliths, but Latinos are not monoliths. Guess what? White people aren't monoliths. Black people aren't monoliths. People aren't monoliths. People are individuals. And it is hard to talk about elections without sort of grouping people into polling block or into voting blocks because it's just hard. It's hard to talk to 150 fucking million people. But guess what? We're all individuals and uh, we need to start realizing that. Those of us in the media need to, you know, start talking to people, realizing that and stop relying on these like ridiculous heuristics about good people and bad people. All right. I think that about does her. Uh, this has been. Uh whatever podcast this is, I don't even remember at this point, but you can reach us at blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Apple pod. Oh, we're, we're, we're losing the 4.6, 4.7 wars again. So we need to marshal the troops on Apple podcasts. We're down to 4.6. I think if we drop to 4.5, we can be arrested. I don't know the rules. Uh, well, you can, because it's, it's entirely your fault. It's entirely my fault. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, the election results just prove everything that I've been saying all along for years. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you're into dog balls, have I got the newsletter for you. <laughs>